Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So when I was a young man, young minister, I remember my dad sitting down and talking to my brother and I about some stories that that he experienced when he was learning to be a minister. He went to Bible college in Kentucky, and on a number of occasions, my dad and, uh, and some of his preacher buddies would go to different places, either to preach in revival services or to be a part of meetings. And, and on this one occasion, he told me he and a couple of his buddies went to a meeting. One of them was preaching, and uh, they had to stop to get some gas. So when they stopped to get gas, you know, back in the 1960s, you still had gas station attendants. For those of you that are, are younger, not old enough to even remember the Anna Griffith show, that's when somebody came out and pumped your gas for you. And one of the gentlemen that was with my dad, one of the young preacher boys, he was a big old guy. He was taller than my dad, weighed about 100 pounds more than my dad, had a big old deep voice, and he just loved Jesus and wanted people to go to heaven. And so what he did, he got out of the car went inside to get something or to use the bathroom and and came back out and the gas station attendant had his back turned and was filling up the car with gas. And this big old guy, big deep voice, walked up to the gas station attendant, put his big hand on his shoulder and asked this question, are you ready to die? (laughs) And the gas station attendant, uh, rightly so, was a little bit scared and uncertain as to what was about to happen. And and uh, that, that preacher boy proceeded to <laughs> tell that young man that he needed to know Jesus so that when he died, he would have an opportunity to go to heaven. Begs the question, are you ready to die? This series that we're doing, Life, Death, Hell, and Heaven, this is the death sermon. Let me ask that question a little bit differently. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? Are you certain of that? As you sit in the room, as you're sitting at home, do you know for certain, without any question, that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Let me follow that up with a a second question. If you were to die today, let's just suppose that in the next hour, you die, whatever circumstance, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? What would you tell the God of the universe as to why you should be allowed into heaven? We're going to look at what the Bible says about death. We're going to look at three assertions that the Bible makes about death and talk about what it means for you and I, for any of us, to be prepared for death. We're going to look at Hebrews 9.27 in a moment if you want to find that in your copy of Scripture. The reality is all of us are going to face death one day. Death is a reality. It's a certainty. Let's look at three assertions. The first one comes from the book of Genesis. I didn't ask you to turn there, but let me read a passage of Scripture from the book of Genesis. Genesis 2.15. The Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Of course, we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were tempted. Eve was tempted by a snake, and 
Eve ate of that tree and Adam ate of it as well. She gave it to him and they both disobeyed God's command. And in that temptation, Satan said this. He said, you will not surely die. And then as a part of the curse, later on in chapter 3, God said, you are dust to Adam and Eve and to dust you will return. First assertion the Bible makes about death is that death is a curse. Death is a curse. Let me say that very, very clearly to all of us here for just a moment. When God made Adam and Eve, He did not make Adam and Eve to die. Death is abnormal. Death came in after sin entered the world. It didn't come into the world before then. Death is not the way it was supposed to be. What was supposed to happen is Adam and Eve were supposed to walk with God in righteousness and holiness and live forever and forever and forever. Let me say that again. God made us to live in the bodily form that He created Adam and Eve with forever and forever. Death, as described in Genesis 2 and 3, is a curse. It's something that entered into the world as a result of sin. If sin had not entered the world, folks, we'd be on planet Earth with billions of other people who had forever been on planet earth, but sin entered the world. And so death exists. Now the Bible reflects on death as a curse. It reflects on death as an abnormality. And many of the worldviews around us don't think quite the same thing about death. For some worldviews, death is a part of a cycle. In Buddhism, there's this cycle of birth, life, death and karma or rebirth and you kind of go through this entire process and so death is treated as just another part of existence in the star wars universe if you die you become a part of the force and 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 you just become a part of all of the things that are or if you don't like those illustrations you could go to disney's the lion king you remember that song the circle of life that kind of idea, idea that death is just a part of who we are. It's normal. Evolutionary naturalism. Death is just it. That's the end. You and I live. You and I die. When we die, there's nothing else. Many worldviews have a lot of different perspectives on death. Let me, let me be clear from the pages of Scripture. The Bible doesn't say that death is a part of life. The Bible doesn't say that death is an instrument in the circle of life. The Bible doesn't say that when we die, we become part of creation. The Bible says that death is a curse. It's an abnormality. It's not the way things are supposed to be or were supposed to be. It has entered the world because we are sinners and we're under the judgment of God. And really, by extension, we know that to be true. Or by experience, we know that to be true. Why? Because so many people have experienced death, have experienced the death of a loved one, and folks, it hurts. Grief is a terrible thing to walk through. It is hard to see a spouse succumb to cancer. It is hard to see someone pass away of a heart attack. It is hard to go through a moment in a situation of grief. As I preach this sermon to you tonight on Wednesday, for those of you watching in a few days on Sunday, just this week, within the last 24 hours, at least three people that are connected to our church have lost loved ones. A spouse, a parent, a friend. Death is hard, folks. Some of you that have lost a loved one, 
Some of you that are a spouse without a husband or a wife. Some of you who have watched a mom or a dad die recently. Some of you who, God forbid, have lost a child. Someone that that you counted on. You are still not over those moments of loss and sadness and grief. Why is that? Folks, death is a curse. It's not the way God designed it to be. It's a part of the fact that sin has entered the world and as a result, we're cursed. And as a result of the curse, death happens and grief happens. I listened to uh, C.S. Lewis's classic memoir, rather journal, A Grief Observed. I would commend that to any of you going through a situation of grief in your life. He worded it this way. He said, grief is like a long valley a winding valley where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. He wrote this in reference to the very short marriage that he had to someone that he loved deeply. And in his love and in her death, death by cancer, he grieved and he poured out his grief in words. He also wrote this. He said, at other times, grief feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. be honest with you, Lewis's observations there, I can imagine that some of you here or some of you watching at home you know exactly what Lewis was talking about. There's a sense of sadness and a desire to be with others, but not to hear from others, not to talk with others, just to be in the presence. There's grief. It's hard because death is a curse. And let me say this, just kind of as a pastoral comment inside this sermon, is if you are grieving, don't grieve alone. And church, it's our job To help make sure people don't grieve alone. That doesn't mean you need to go say the perfect thing to that person who's suffering and sad. It may just mean you need to go sit with that person who's suffering and sad. Not say a word. Just be there. It's our job as followers of Jesus to weep with those who weep, the Bible tells us. To grieve with those who grieve. Because folks, death is a curse. It's a curse. It's not meant to be, but it is. The Bible says death is a curse. The Bible also tells us that death is an enemy. It's an enemy. It's an enemy to to be worked against, to be pushed against. Boy, we know this realistically, right? I mean, we live in a day and age where science and technology and advancements in medicine have allowed us to prolong death. Life expectancy has grown in the 21st century. It grew significantly from the 19th to the 20th century as medical technologies afforded ways for us to deal with cancer or prevent heart disease or to deal with a heart attack by doing a heart transplant or heart surgeries. I mean, the, the technologies that we have today to prolong the life that we have are absolutely staggering. Some of you in this room have been alive longer than you should be because of medical technologies. We fight against death. We don't want to experience death. Death is an enemy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, For he must reign, that's Jesus, until he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. 
It is not something we want to experience. It's not something we want to go through. It's not something we should desire. But it's real. If anything, uh, the last year and a half, 19 months, should remind us of our own mortality. COVID-19 has forced changes in nearly every aspect of the way that we have lived and operated from how we get our groceries to how we worship at church to the people we interact with to how many people we interact with to how we travel it's changed the course of what normal is in life all in hopes that you and I can avoid getting a disease that might send some of us to our graves death is an enemy it's an enemy to be avoided. It's an enemy to, to, to not go through. We, we don't want to go through it. But the reality is, and the hard part is, the third assertion that the Bible makes about death, is that while death is an enemy and while death is a curse, death is also a certainty. Hebrews 9.27 puts it this way. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is a certainty. You and I may prolong it. You and I may have avoided it at times. Some of you could tell glorious stories about how a car accident almost killed you. You could tell stories about how you watched an event. Maybe it was in the theater of war, or maybe it was something uh, that had to do with your, your, your physical body, a disease, and you were on the cusp of death. I heard a story this week from a friend of mine who, whose wife had melanoma, and she was right that if she hadn't got that, that piece of cancer taken off of her body, it was about to spread. She was right there at death. We could tell stories like that all day long. It's to be avoided. It's, and some of us have narrowly escaped it. Some of us have been successful at not catching COVID and not entering into a disease that could kill us. Some of us have been vaccinated. Some of us caught COVID and it didn't kill us. But I'm going to tell you this. You may avoid heart disease. You may avoid cancer. You may avoid a car accident. You may avoid being shot in a theater of war. You may avoid death in a thousand ways. But you and I cannot avoid death permanently. Every single one of us is going to face death. One thing that should do is it should shatter our element of control. Some of us in life are not comfortable. Some of us in life are, are stressed out if we're not in control. If we don't have that thing exactly as it ought to be, it just bugs us and boogers us up. And we're frustrated until we get things back in line the way it ought to be. Try that with death. Folks, there's coming a day when no matter what you do, no matter how many miles you run, no matter how you change your diet, no matter how many things you avoid, no matter how many good prayers you pray, how many times you attend worship service, it doesn't matter what you do. Every single one of us is going to die. Let me, let me bring this home for just a minute. I've been your pastor for six years. And since being your pastor, 
I have presided at the funerals of church member after church member. I've stood in this very pulpit and preached funeral sermons and eulogies. And if the Lord tarries, and if I'm still here as your pastor over the next 10 or 15 years, some of you in this room will be in this worship service again in a casket right in front of me. Well, don't say amen, Curtis. Ooh. Ooh. Let's say all me. Ooh. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We can't avoid it. It is a certainty. There's nothing we can do to avoid death. So what does that mean? Folks, it means that we need to be ready for death. If death is a curse, and if death is a certainty, and if death is an enemy, then what can we do about it? If I can't stop it, if I can't get in the way of it, if I can't push it back, if I can't hold it off permanently, then what do we do? Here's what we do. We make sure that we're ready for this. Death is a curse, yes. But Jesus became the curse for us so that we might have life. In Galatians chapter 3 The Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus himself became a curse. He became the curse so that death would not have to curse us permanently. Isn't that a good news? He took the payment that we deserve to pay. Death is an enemy, yes. But death is not an ultimate enemy. Death does not win. It doesn't win ultimately. Dr. Mike, I appreciate you referencing that wonderful story With Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lazarus was one of Jesus' good friends. He stayed at his house. He loved him. He knew he was sick and he delayed his travel to Lazarus' house for four days. Showed up after Lazarus had died. Martha came running to him and said, Lord, Lord, you could have saved my brother. I watched you heal the sick. I watched you do that. You could have healed my brother. Why weren't you here? And Jesus gave that famous statement, Martha, Martha, do you believe? Don't you believe? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, now philosophically, right, that is a wonderful statement for us to, 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 to believe in. It really is. And in that moment, in that th- moment theologically, Martha said, yes, Lord, you've taught about the resurrection. I believe that my brother is going to be resurrected from the dead. But I want to tell you something. Jesus went on in that story to do something that proved that he was the resurrection and the life. He had the audacity to walk up to that tomb and tell them to roll away the stone. It'd be like going to the graveyard here, going to scenic memorial gardens, walking up to a grave and saying the name of a person who was recently deceased and saying, come out of the tomb. If I did that, you would let me go as your pastor with calls. And stories would be written in the journal Patriot about the preacher who had lost it. And you know what? If 2,000 years ago, Jesus had walked up to that grave, had rolled away the stone, he had said, Lazarus, come forth, and nothing happened, I'm going to tell you something. We would not have the Gospel of John. We wouldn't have the 66 books of the Bible as we have them. But when Jesus walked up to that grave and said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus stood up and walked out. Jesus proved he is the one who can defeat death. 
The way that we make sure death is not an ultimate enemy is that we trust in Jesus alone to be our Savior. Death is a curse, but Jesus took the curse for us. Death is an enemy, but Jesus defeated death. Not only did Jesus defeat death, not only Jesus did he take a curse, but the certainty of death is this. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus didn't come to bring us death. Do you know that? Jesus came to bring us what? Life. Life. Do you know how you get ready for death? You get ready for death by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the only way you get ready for death. Because if you trust in Jesus alone, Jesus gives you life. Life that begins at that moment of conversion. Life that begins when he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and dwells within you and gives you eternal life that began at that moment of conversion. Many of you in this room have experienced that. You know what that's like. Will that keep you from dying physically? Absolutely not. But Jesus said, though he die to Martha, though he die, yet shall he live. What does that mean? It means that when we die in Christ, we don't ultimately die. Jesus is going to resurrect our bodies and let us live forever with him. That's how we get ready for death. We put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. And why does that matter? Folks, it matters because none of us knows. None of us knows when that day of death is going to come. If you're in the room here and you're not ready to die, you're not ready to meet Jesus, you're not sure about your eternal destiny, you don't know when the next breath is going to be your last breath. You don't know when a heart attack is going to take you out of the world. You don't know when a car accident is going to come and remove the opportunity for you to be ready for death. Mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, those children, those grandchildren that you're a burden for, God forbid that they should ever die, but children sometimes do die. Teenagers sometimes die. Middle adults sometimes die. Folks, we are not promised tomorrow. We need to be ready to meet Jesus today. This sermon is an invitation, whether you're at home or in the room, it's an invitation for you to be ready for death. Let me give you a model of what that looks like. I'm going to close with two illustrations, one a model and one a warning. Here's a model. A number of weeks ago, I referenced a lady by the name of Virginia Pernan. She wrote a book entitled Saving My Assassin. She was uh, a, a, an individual who lived in communist Romania. She grew up wanted to be a lawyer. So she became a lawyer in the com- underneath the communist regime, regime of President Ceausescu in Romania. It, as a lawyer, she met a Christian and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Changed her whole life. Changed the way she lived. Changed what she believed. She found the truth. And for a period of years, as a young mother... And as a lawyer in Romania, she defended religious liberty. Uh, Underneath communism, Christians did not have liberty, but their law stated that they did have liberty. So she took their law and defended Christians, churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, believers against the communists in her own country, which made her public enemy number one. She was harassed, she had her tires cut. She was brought into rooms with the communist regime police officers and threatened. They told her they knew where she lived. They told her they knew where her girls lived. They hit her. They beat her. They bloodied her nose. They did all sorts of things to try to intimidate her so that she would not any longer defend religious liberty. None of it worked. One afternoon, she was tidying up her office to leave her office, law office there in Romania. 
her administrative assistant was about to walk out at the door when a gentleman, a large gentleman, a very tall gentleman, walked in and said that he was in need of seeing a lawyer and he thought that Virginia Perdan could be of help. So her administrative assistant knocked on the door. He entered the door and uh, her administrative assistant left for the day. And they both sat down in the, in the law office so that Virginia could see if she could help this particular gentleman. His eyes were cold, and he pulled open his jacket to reveal a shoulder holster, and he pulled out a pistol, and he put it in her face, and he said, I've been sent to assassinate you because you have not listened to any of the warnings that you've been given. He wanted to make her afraid, and she was afraid in that moment. She was about 100 pounds. He was about six foot four, 200 plus pounds with a gun in her face. All she knew in that moment to do was to pray. And in that moment of prayer, God impressed upon her heart. In that moment where she was staring death in the eye, God impressed upon her heart to share the gospel with her assassin. So you know what she did? She asked him if he had meaning in life. She asked him if he knew what life really was all about. She proceeded to read scripture to him, quote scripture to him, tell him that he was a sinner in need of Jesus. And he put his gun back in his shoulder holster. And in that moment, the murderous assassin, a man who had been responsible for the deaths of dozens of other Romanian Christians, was convicted to the core In fact, his testimony is that he was scared. He was scared because he was standing, sitting there with all the power and this little, petite, hundred-pound Christian lawyer was boldly telling him the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of their conversation, he looked at her and he said, you're right, the people I work for are crazy and I need Jesus. He walked out of her office, got in a car and left. Fast forward about 20 years, Virginia and her family had moved to Dallas, Texas. They were able to get out of the communist regime, find refugee status in the United States, and she opened a law office in Dallas, Texas. One particular morning, her administrative assistant here in Dallas had had let her know that there was an appointment that had been made. This gentleman walked in, he came in, he told a story about his son who was a pastor needing some help to make sure that his church, all, all the things happened right at his church. And, and he told a story about his daughter who is essentially facing some persecution for her faith at Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. And then he looked at her and he said this. He said, do you remember who I am? He called her by name. And uh, fear gripped her heart. Because in that moment, when he showed her a picture, she remembered that he was the assassin that sat in her office in Romania. Here's what he told her. He said, when I left your office, I had a car accident. Woke up in the hospital, but I never was the same because I became a follower of Jesus that night. After the Ceausescu regime fell, I became a pastor. Started telling people about the Jesus that I had persecuted. My son is now a pastor. My daughter is now a follower of Jesus. I even have a granddaughter named Virginia. Virginia Perdan is a model for facing death. You know why? 
I don't know that any of us will face something quite so dramatic. I'm not sure any of us are going to face an assassin and have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But you know how she could do that? She could do that because she knew Jesus. She knew Jesus alone. She had trusted him to be her savior. She was ready for death. That's a model that all of us should seek to emulate. Now let me give you a warning. About three years ago or so, I was uh, making a visit at the hospital. I stopped to speak to a lady uh, while I was going to make that visit. She didn't seem to be having the greatest of days. And I had a chance to talk to her. And I asked her the very same question I started the sermon with today. I said, do you know for sure if you would go to heaven when you died? And her answer to me was, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven when I die. And I pressed a little further. It turns out she had been an attender at a church because she wasn't sure about her eternity. And I talked with her, and I tried to share the gospel with her. She wasn't very open to hearing from me. I told her I'd be praying for it. I did. Put her name down on my prayer list, and I started praying for her, and I kept praying for her. This week, I saw her face and her name in the obituary here in Wilkes County. And I have no idea if she ever found the peace that she needed to be ready to meet God. No clue. Don't let that be you. If you're here today, if you're watching today, and you don't know for sure that you'd go to heaven when you die, don't walk out of here without seeking Jesus and finding peace and finding salvation and finding assurance. Because you never know when your last day on earth will come. Stand with me, if you will, as we enter into this time of invitation. Heavenly Father, you know the hearts and minds in the room, and you know the hearts and minds that are watching at home. You know the ones that are ready for death, that like Virginia, they've put their faith and trust in you, and Lord, they'd have the confidence to stare down an assassin, knowing that no matter what happened, they're going to spend eternity with you. Knowing that if you rescue them, that'd be great. But if you don't, they're okay as well. But Father, there are some in the room, some at home, many that will attend church this weekend. They don't have that confidence. Because Lord, they're relying on something else. They're relying on past behavior. They're relying on some kind of church membership role. They're relying on some kind of experience that may not have been real. They're relying on anything, something. But it's not you and you alone. And so they're here today. They're watching at home. They're present. And they don't have assurance that when they died, they'd go to heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment, in this worship service, in this invitation, that you'd speak to their hearts. Pray, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to them as the God who is true and the God who wants to save them. And I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would trust in you alone and experience the peace and the eternal life that Jesus alone can give. Lord God, I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 